0: We wish to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land that this podcast is being recorded on, the Wajak people of Perth region. We recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and community and pay our respects to them and their cultures and to Elders both past and present. There's three sides to every story. There's my side, your side and the truth. Come on girls, let's go shopping. That's not a knife. <laughs> this is a knife. What are you looking at?
1: Rolling in a boy, you are
0: You're mad, you bastard. Far am You. Around
1: you. I swear to Christ, Liz, you get a bag of all sorts in here, mate. Welcome to Whoop
0: Whoop. G'day and welcome to The Last New Wave. I'm Andrew Pierce, and this is the podcast that looks at the wide and varied landscape that is Australian cinema. On this episode, I'm joined by the director of Not Quite Hollywood, Mark Hartley. This film is getting a jam packed blu-ray release on umbrella entertainment in fact it's available right now on umbrella head over there purchase it it is an essential australian film and it fills in a heck of a lot of australian history uh you know if, if there's one thing that um Really should kind of get your ears tingling is the interviews with uh, Brian Trenchard Smith and Quentin Tarantino on the uh, special features there If you have seen the film you already know that Tarantino features in it quite a bit It's really interesting to hear what he has to say about Australian cinema Uh, But on top of that there is a whole bunch of other guests that are in this, this documentary Which came out way back in 2008 and is even more relevant now Mark Hartley uh, spent a bit of time chatting to me about what went into making the film and also, um, you know, what the legacy of this film is as well and who his uh, favorite uh, person that he was able to get into the, uh, the, the documentary and interview. Uh, you know, it's really interesting to hear what he has to say there. Before we jump into that interview, let's just rattle off what those extra features are. Okay, so there's an audio commentary from Ausballitation Auteurs. Delete and extended scenes. The lost interview with Chris Lubfin. A word from Bob Ellis. Quentin Tarantino and Brian Trenchard-Smith interview. MIF exploitation panel. MIF red carpet footage. Behind the scenes footage from the crew. UK interview with director Mark Hartley. The Bizzura Project segment. The monthly conversation. The business interview. Extended exploitation trailer reel. John D. LeMond. Confessions of an R-rated filmmaker. Richard Franklin on the set interview. Terry Burke's Noon Sunday Reel, Barry McKenzie, Ogre or Ocker documentary, Inside Album Purple documentary, To Shoot a Mad Dog documentary, Ozploitation stills and poster gallery, Not Quite Hollywood production gallery, Not Quite Hollywood pitch promos, and an original theatrical trailer. So there is all up probably about 10 hours worth of special features on this particular release. Um, just like previous Umbrella Entertainment releases, this is an essential purchase you know if you if you picked up the uh one of the the discs which i think that anybody who has an interest in film all around the world should have which is the man from hong kong disc which was released last year if you pick that up then you really would know that hey umbrella go all out when they're doing uh their their dvd and blu-ray releases and certainly not quite hollywood um you know is no exception at all and in fact, they they do have uh, Mark Hartley's other films on their on uh, their website as well. Um, specifically, his other documentary, Electric Boogaloo, and Machete Maidens Unleashed. They're both really interesting documentaries that are highly worth seeking out. They also have his directorial uh, sort of f- fiction debut, which is Patrick. Uh, that is the adaptation of the horror film Patrick from way back in the seventies. I asked him about. Uh, that particular film as well and and what went into the making of that film uh, in the interview anyway that's enough from me let's have a listen to the balls out trailer for not quite hollywood and be back with the interview with mark hartley rolling speed buzzer clapboards action
1: if you grew up watching australian genre films Marauding packs of bullies. You heard my car. Roam the highway looking for people to fuck with. We were seeing things I've never seen again. (coughs) Wouldn't mind seeing again, but I've never seen again. Jaws was on at one theatre and 14 drive-ins and we went in the next week and we took as much. Government agencies would actually stand at the bottom to stop these cans of film being seen overseas. Want to
0: put a shrimp
1: on the barbie? Smutty. Lesbianism has always left a nasty taste in my mouth. Menardy was no issue because everybody wanted to be new.
0: You couldn't have seen more than what you've got. Oh, outrageous! Can you think of a more absurd premise than the Mr Whippy Van being the instrument of evil?
1: Nothing wrong with that.
0: they said, which part would you like to play? Judy, she's the only one who doesn't get killed while she's screwing.
1: We actually had live ammunition fired at actors. They pronounced me dead.
0: In America, we just call that insane.
1: Nobody shoots a car the way Aussies do. They manage to shoot cars with this fetishistic lens that just makes you want to
0: jerk off. high-speed car chases on open highways without police permission, without anything. We just shot them. And after the director set himself on fire, I thought, geez, if he's gonna do it, I'll have to do it. He what?
1: <laughs> no! Oh, that thing's getting awful close.
0: I imagine you're pretty busy as well with uh, the release of uh, this uh, you know your, your great film coming up as well and on, well re-release I guess is the way of putting it uh, on Blu-ray um, so you know thanks for your time I really appreciate it um, it means a lot <laughs> um, I'll try not well, to, to tell take you the up truth, too I much haven't, of your time I
1: haven't, I, haven't, you know, I haven't spoken about this song for a very very long time so God knows what I can remember to tell you the truth
0: <laughs> well I, I'm going to uh, attempt to uh, at least a uh, Poke as much as uh, possible, and and uh, hopefully um, you know it'll conjure up a few things in your mind for sure. Um, fingers crossed, because um, it's a great film. I, I absolutely love it, and uh, certainly you know this is a an audio uh, interview that we're doing for a podcast, and the podcast is called The Last New Wave, and partly inspired by uh, David Stratton's book The Last New Wave, which of course is about um, the films yeah. that essentially your film covers as well and you know i i started this about a year and a half ago and part of it was uh yeah inspired uh, took it took a while at least but it was inspired by your film uh, in in a lot of ways uh, in the sense that you know your film looks at Australian film in a certain era and it's a you know really important era in Australian cinema because we, you know, most prolific kind of uh, era that we've, we've ever kind of had, uh, certainly uh, very varied and uh, extensive with a whole bunch of things. So um, I at least want to start off by saying thank you for, for making this film because as a lover of Australian cinema, it's uh, really great to see that, you know, it's out there, it's done. You know, this story has been told. So thanks for that. That's right. Yeah, I remember why it was actually a reaction to
1: The Last New Wave and The Avocado Plantation. Um, I guess because in those books, David Stratton doesn't really give a lot of love towards these films. Yeah. And, um, you know, if that that was the only, uh, you know, history of of that era, then it would certainly be one side. So hopefully um, Not Quite Hollywood shines a spotlight on certainly a, a very different side of Australian cinema that most people were used to
0: thinking about, talking about, and actually watching. Well, I think that's the thing, is that, you know, the, the conversation about Australian cinema is, well, certainly when I was growing up, um, you know, the, there still seemed to be this kind of feeling of derision. Uh, you know, certainly in the early 2000s, it was very much like, uh, not another dreary Australian film. And, you know, we, we do a heck of a lot more than that, and your film shows exactly that, that, you know, there is great quality and great talent there that was in those you know, the 70s and 80s, and more than just Mad Max and Picnic and Hang Rock, which are great films, but unfortunately I think yeah. that people tend to just think of those films as being the only films that we made during that period. Um, well, yeah, also for me, I guess it was it was the fact that there were, there were also really talented filmmakers out there too who, because
1: they weren't making the more lauded Australian films, they weren't at all being, uh, you know... Uh, there was no spotlight shone on them at all. You know, they were, they were just, they were, they were making these films that were playing certainly in more theatres and being more accepted overseas in terms of genre cinema. And, um, and no
0: one knew who they were in Australia. Yeah, which is sad. I mean, somebody like Brian Trenchard-Smith, who's one of our greatest filmmakers, in my opinion, and certainly, you know, a guy who tells so many different stories, it's, it's, you know he's a fantastic guy to listen to, and you know the interviews that you've got in the film, and and certainly I'm I'm keen on digging more into the special features because I think the Umbrella Blu-ray has the extended Quentin Tarantino and Brian Trenchard-Smith interview as well, so I'm I'm eager to jump into that. But you know I think that you know we we think of Peter Weir and we think of George Miller and all that kind of stuff, and they're great directors, but Brian Trenchard-Smith should be up there as well. And you know as you're saying, you're shining a spotlight on those those guys and. And I guess, uh, you know, sort of a first question in some regards is, was that the main aspect of Not Quite Hollywood, that the main aim to um, focus on these voices that that have sort of been forgotten in some regards? It was. I was um, uh,
1: a friend of Richard Franklin's, who who thankfully we interviewed just before he died for the film. And uh, when I was at high school, I found out that he'd gone to my high school, so I invited him to come and talk. I mean, I've told this story a lot, very, very many times. Um, and I went to research him before I, I had to introduce him, and there was nothing about him in any of the books on Australian film in the library. And I just thought, that's really strange. Here's a guy who's made, you know, some of my favourite films I loved when I was a kid, Patrick Road Games. And, you know, he wasn't even listed in the history books. And that's when I that's when I first, you know, started thinking that there is a whole world out there that, is, that has been totally neglected. And I sort of also had a sense that the only thing that remained about those films was the critics reactions and a lot of the time the critics reactions was not in sync at all with the audience's reactions to those films
0: yeah I definitely you know the the amount of people who like the you know certainly in America at least the genre of cinema is a is loved a heck of a lot more than it is in Australia and unfortunately you know horror films in Australia just don't get the same appreciation that they really should do. And, you know, you you obviously, uh, jumping forward a little bit, but you, after Not Quite Hollywood, you made a remake of Patrick, which is, you know, a seminal horror film, and and your version is fantastic as well. But I'm curious whether that kind of entered into your mind as to, um, you know, is this something that I should be taking on, or or was there something specific about Patrick that you said, all right, I'm going to tell this particular story, Uh, this is the film I want to remake?
1: Oh look I've been trying to get a narrative feature up for a very very long time And um, Patrick was just the one that actually happened um, We were talking, Tony Ganane was talking to Justin King Who'd been a researcher on Not Quite Hollywood and I, Literally just before the release of the film And said that he was really keen to remake it And we said well why don't we pitch you our take on it And you know thankfully he liked our take on it And it went from there and it, you know it got financed but I have to say that you know the whole release of that film in Australia was soul destroying. We put a lot of work in it. We, we kind of thought that we'd been, you know, punching above our our own weight in it in trying to make it sort of slightly elevated. And, and you know, and uh, you know, it it found no love at all in this country, and um and that was you know very depressing.
0: Well, I didn't mean to bring it down so quickly. <laughs> no, no, not um, at all. No, yeah. I mean look it's just it's it's just what it's
1: it's just you know it's how it is making genre films in australia you know it's it's very diffi- difficult because um you know the exhibitors are so sure that audiences won't embrace them that you know there's no you know no one's willing to,
0: to take a gamble on them yeah and i think you know with films like the wolf creek obviously which is a huge success you'd think that oh great that's going to spur a whole whole genre of Australian horror films. And, and unfortunately, your film, uh, The Loved Ones... Well, you know, in a way, it did. I mean, look, the, the bottom line is after, after um, you know, Not Quite Hollywood ends on this up note
1: with Wolf Creek getting made and Undead and a whole films like that. And ultimately, you know, we, we hadn't been making genre films for a very long time. We started making them again. And, you know, we're still making them. You've seen, you know, Hounds of Love and um, Killing Ground released recently. So they're still getting made. Mm. But they're getting made... Very cheaply, and they're finding you know audiences overseas, and and they're helping to get the filmmaker who's next film. But that's about the extent of it. They're not, you know, no, no one's no one's backing them to make you know a lot of money or, or find enthusiastic audiences, which is strange considering that the the American horror films are finding decent box office in Australia.
0: Mm. I mean, it it's had a huge success internationally, which is just. Uh, it's crazy, and whether it's just simply because people are afraid of clowns or not, I'm not too sure, but it's it's nuts to see that specific film taking off where others haven't. And, you know, Hounds of Love, in Perth at least, where I where I live, had a great success here, and whether it's just because of the support for Ben, who's a great filmmaker, or not, I'm not too sure, but it'd be nice to have seen that, you know, there was a, a greater support for somebody like him, because I think that if there was an, uh, an American Cast an American mind behind that film; it would have done even more, which is uh, which is sad. But um, you know, I think that. What we thought? We we honestly thought we were
1: making Patrick. We thought, look, the difference between our genre film and a lot of the other genre films made in Australia is we've got a cast. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of a lot of Australian genre films, you know, low budget horror films, whatever at that time, you know, didn't have international people, and we had at least Charles and 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 Rachel, and we thought that at least would find some you know, kind of cachet in in getting exhibitors excited about the film. But, uh, you know, even that didn't work. So I honestly don't know what the solution is.
0: Yeah, and I'm sure you probably get asked that a lot because, you know, having made a bunch of different films about different, you know, groups of of cinema, you know, the, uh, the canon films and stuff like that, and of course Australian cinema, I'm sure that everybody looks to you as being like, hey what's the answer do you have the solution to this and and i can only imagine it's got to be a bit frustrating but um uh, you know in some regards i i do wonder if the the role of a documentarian in australia uh, specifically for australian cinema um you know i think that we we probably hold you in a lot of a higher regard because of the fact that as you're saying before regarding richard mm-hmm. franklin that um you know we didn't really document these things all that much um so I guess the the question I'm trying to get at is how did you, how do you find yourself as a documentary filmmaker and somebody who's who's essentially uh, forging the history books for for Australian cinema and and other cinema as well? How how have you found that as being a filmmaker? Well,
1: I never sort of thought of myself as a documentary filmmaker at all. I mean, I I never wanted to be a documentary filmmaker. I just, you know, it was a story that I thought if I don't tell, no one will. Um, you know, I was obviously a narrative film my background's music videos and I think that you know you can certainly see more of a music video influence in not quite Hollywood than you can a a document like a state documentary influence um you know look the, the great thing for me in the you know the years past not quite Hollywood is seeing that at least those films now have been embraced you know people can actually find them people can watch them people aren't embarrassed by them and those filmmakers have now, you know, um, cultivated a, voy- a very loyal following because people have discovered those films. I mean, for me, that's, that's, that's the greatest thing that could have happened. I mean, thankfully, on the back of Not Quite Hollywood, there was retrospectives of those films at festivals all around the world. And, um, you know, people aren't embarrassed by them anymore.
0: Yeah. I think I think that's the key thing and I I was reading a few interviews that you did around the time when the film came out and that question had raised up was that were the filmmakers embarrassed of the films that they made at the time? And I saw that quite a bit in, in some of the interviews and you handle it really well in the sense that no, they shouldn't be embarrassed because they made great films. So what have they got to be embarrassed about? You know, the the cinema stands up for itself. And and Yeah, I think a lot of people were actually asking me, you know, was it
1: hard to find people you know, to get your interviewees to talk about these films because they thought they would be embarrassed by them. And um, and as I said back then, I mean, the opposite was true. I think because the the cast and the directors, the filmmakers, the cinematographers, no one had really talked to them about these films, and they're all very fond of them because it was it was their 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 learning ground. You know, if if Brian hadn't have made you know Turkey Shoot, we wouldn't have got being Bandits, etc. You know, so they were they were great training grounds for for everyone involved so no one was embarrassed by them i'm sure they all think that they could make better films now and a lot of them have
0: yeah yeah and certainly you know brian's been uh, we keep on mentioning him but specifically i mean he's he's continued working and and now of course he's a an author as well he's released a book too and all that kind of stuff yeah. so he's he's continued pushing forward and and i do wonder of course the uh, the name quentin tarantino comes up that you know, he's, he was a big get for the, the podcast, uh, not the podcast, the, uh, the film. Um, I can imagine in the sense that, you know, he is a figurehead, he is a name that people latch onto and they know his films. Um, how important was it to have somebody like him to be able to say, all right, this is a documentary about Australian cinema, uh, which, you know, you, the viewers are going to know very little about, but there's somebody in this film that you do know and he's pretty passionate about them. How important was that? Look, initially we thought it was going to be really
1: important in terms of raising the finance of the film, but it really didn't mean anything to the funding bodies in Australia. But subsequently it did overseas, so we managed to get a lot of pre-sales on the film based on Tarantino being in it. and We shot his interview long before the rest of it. I think we shot it three, three years or so before we shot the rest of the film. Um, Tarantino was important to the film, I mean, just like, I guess, uh, John Landis' is in, in Machete Maidens, is it? I wanted an outsider to talk about these films so that we knew that they they had some influence outside of Australia.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Because most people didn't know at all that these films had actually, you know, screened successfully all around the world. We didn't hear about that at all. And so it was great to have Tarantino there to sort of let people know that, you know, he was sitting in his video library watching these movies or he was going to his grind his local grindhouse cinema or, or drive in and seeing these films. And um, yeah, that was that was the, the main importance of having him in you know? it.
0: Yeah, I think uh, the benefit as well, like from a viewer at least, is that if people watch your film and then they go back and you know, there's there's obvious homages uh, and you know for in Kill Bill, in specifically as he he mentions in regard to Patrick as well. Um, yeah, they, these films did have an influence. I mean, I, yeah, I mean in a
1: film. I'm trying to think now. I think the Saw guys talk about Mad Max being an influence on Saw, and you know, and certainly Quentin paid paid that tribute to um, to uh, to Patrick in Kill Bill. And before, I mean, we made not quite Hollywood, or we interviewed him before he would made Death Proof, and certainly Death Proof is full of of nods to uh, to Australian car action.
0: Mm. And then, of course, you know, you've got Django Unchained, where John Jarrett appears as well, and that's a you know, that's
1: a well, huge thing. I think thing it's in best itself. not to mention John Jarrett appearing in Django Unchained, which is <laughs> you know one of the singular worst things I've ever seen on the screen. But regardless of that,
0: <laughs> I, I have to agree with you there. I'm not a huge fan of that film. But uh,
1: you know, well, I mean, it's not just for Jared, it's the Jarrett. It's about the fact that Quentin sort of teams himself with with Jarrett and tries to do an Australian accent, which um, you know,
0: yeah, that
1: isn't the greatest. The, but the, the less said about honest it about it.
0: it. Yeah, he's he's not the best actor to begin with, so. Um, Attempting an Australian accent is, uh, you know... Hey, it's a hard ask by anyone. I have seen very few people do it. (laughs) Well, that's for sure. You know, Robert Mitchum pulled it off, and that's pretty much, you know, pretty close to where it begins and ends. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, So one of the the other aspects, I'm not sure if you're aware, but the Film Inc. uh, last year did a Best Films of the New Millennium, and not quite Hollywood appeared in the top ten. It was number eight. Uh, alongside some other great films, uh, Proposition, Animal Kingdom, uh, you know, a whole bunch of really fantastic Australian cinema. How how is it to feel like to have your film put aside those films? Uh, you know, it's it's a testament to a great film in itself, but uh, as a filmmaker, it's got to be even better to be like, you know, it's standing alongside the guys that I'm talking about. That's true, but but my film is a hundred minutes of other people's movies. <laughs> that's the bottom line. <laughs> Sure, so, sure.
1: You, know, I'm, I, you know, I'm not the person who can take credit for that. The people who, you know, provided those, the, all, the, all the, the, the great film scenes in the film should be the people who take the credit for that. If, if they hadn't have been great, if the stories hadn't have been great, uh, you know, if, if those films hadn't just been full of that amazing, you know, larrikin energy, you know, our film would have been nothing. So, you know, I, I'm the last person who can take a credit for, um, for, for the success of telling that story.
0: Yeah, well, that, that's fair. But I think that, you know, it takes somebody with the ingenuity and the the understanding and saying, all right, these stories need to be told to be able to put it together. So, you know, it, it's great that it does exist. Now, as you are saying, you started off doing uh, music videos and stuff like that. Um, how do you find, like, a lot of Australian directors and, and producers and actors start off in, in that kind of the short film area and the, the music video area. How did you find that path from music videos to doing like the special feature stuff for DVDs and stuff like that to feature films? Oh, look, it was an easy jump. I mean,
1: look, the the, the documentary wasn't that difficult. I, I, you know, I kind of had a good sense of the story, so it, it wasn't really. The only trouble was we had so much material, but I mean, the good thing about Not Quite Hollywood is we we were able to spend a long time cutting into that hundred minutes like you know we spent a year doing it and I that's a luxury I haven't had on the other two documentaries and possibly they've suffered because of it but when I did Patrick I was using uh you know the same DOP that I used on every single clip I ever made we've been working together for 20 years by then so it 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 wasn't a big leap uh you know it seemed on, on music videos it was about you know, telling well not so much telling a story, but keeping the, the the clip engaging for three minutes, and with the narrative, it was about keeping the film engaging for ninety minutes. So, no, it was it wasn't a, a big stretch at all to tell you the truth. Okay, yeah, that's understandable. I mean, I think, and look, it's 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 no different. Getting performances out of um, it's a lot easier actually getting performances out of actors, professional actors, than it is getting them out of musicians who really don't want to be there making a music video at all because it's not their comfort zone, you know, their comfort zone is either playing live or being in a, in a studio recording. So, you know, the last thing most of those artists wanted to do when I was making clips was actually be there on set making a music video. And I was lucky enough to make, you know, 150 or so of them. So by the end, I, you know, I knew what I was doing and
0: that just translated
1: pretty well into stepping onto a film set.
0: Well, that's understandable. Uh, do you miss the, the music video making? Or Yeah, you know? I really do. I, yeah. do.
1: I miss it. It was it was it was great. I mean, we could do different things all the time, and um, you know, it was great. That was the great thing about about doing Patrick as well. I'd really missed when I was doing the documentaries the sense of camaraderie amongst a crew, like a big family unit, and um, which you get on music videos because we were using pretty much the same crew and going you know, from job to job to job. And um, it was good to to get that family back together for um for Patrick.
0: So. You know, I'm, I'm not sure if you, you watch many music videos nowadays, but how do you think that it's changed? Has it changed for the worse or changed for the better uh, since you're making them? Um, and certainly, I mean, for, from my perspective at least, the, uh, the music videos have been good, but they've nowhere they've not been anywhere as great as the, you know, 80s and 90s music videos that existed. Well,
1: I'm not sure I ever made any great music videos. i certainly made, you know, commercial ones that were good enough to get on video hits, and that was kind of the reason I kept working is because I just made polished, you know, glossy music videos for pop-backs. Um, you know, the, the main thing that's happened is that the budgets don't exist anymore. We, we, I was really lucky to ride the last wave of decent budgets. So we, you know, we had uh, you know, a lot of gear and, and time at our disposal to make these things whereas I'm sure that's not the case anymore.
0: Mm. Yeah, and, think... you know,
1: and, you know, and back back then too, record companies left you alone. If, if you know, if they... If they, if they you know i had had a sense that they were dealing with someone who could make a clip that would get on video hits and that was all they really wanted and so you could do whatever you wanted to do so long as you know it was it was polished enough to to get on that saturday morning time slot yeah so
0: yeah it was it was a, it was a there was, a, it was a, a lot of you know um, it was it was a luxury really sure so i want to go back a little bit further as well get getting a little bit too possibly introspective here but you know I find that uh, nowadays, at least, unless kids are brought up with a certain type of film and stuff like that, they, they tend to lean towards the mainstream stuff. So if, uh, unless they're sat down and, you know, Paper Planes is put in front of them, or Oddball, specifically think of modern Australian kids' films, uh, they don't have an affection for Australian films growing up. So for you, I'm curious, what was your... Path to loving Australian cinema. What what kind of foundations were laid for you as a as a Australian film fan? Uh, when I was a kid, I saw films like
1: Patrick and Snapshot and The Man from Hong Kong on television, and um, I just liked them because they were like American style movies that I liked, but they had Australian accents. And especially particularly Patrick and Snapshot, they were shot in Melbourne, so I actually knew the locations. So. I think that was the appeal of them, and um, yeah, as I say, they were they were like they were like the American films that I liked. Only they they had, you know, some kind of um, Australian sensibility to them. Even even though even the ones who were trying to be as American as possible,
0: they still seemed very Australian to me. And, and I guess that was the appeal. And so, the, did you talk about them with friends and stuff like that, or was it just kind of? Something that you, you went, did you guys watch Man from Hong Kong on TV the other night? It was is insane.
1: I actually, I honestly can't remember to tell you. I mean, that stuff was playing on to me when I was very, very young. Um, when I was at film school, uh, I went to Swinburne. Um, I remember that, you know, I don't think anyone in our class would have seen the Man from Hong Kong. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. That's crazy. I mean, in the sense that, you know, it's a, it's a great Australian film and, uh, you know, one that any other country would be, you know, considered one of the best of the the, the lot. And, um, you yeah, know, I think it's it's crazy to hear that, you know, Yeah, but don't, don't forget, I mean, look, before, before I... Before,
1: I mean, I was lucky to, to hook up with Umbrella um, when they started thinking about releasing Australian films. And prior to that, it was difficult to see these films. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the, you know, the Australian sections in video libraries weren't very complete. Most of the Australian films had come out on really bizarre, you know, independent video labels that, you know, are, are huge collector's items now, so they, they, they were difficult to find. And um, and even on DVD, you know, I mean, before Jess and Umbrella really sort of made a... a, a um, a firm decision to start releasing this stuff. No one could see it. I mean, when we worked on Long Weekend for Umbrella, I mean, no one had seen that widescreen since it had played in a cinema. I mean, it had had a very sort of boutique VHS release. So finding that these Australian films, I mean, it was easy to find Picnic Hang Rock and easy to find Break around. Morant. But, I mean, some of these Australian films still haven't come out in any kind of format. Mm. So, you know, it, it's... It, up until recently, it was very difficult to actually be able to to view these films. I remember after Not Quite them, people said, "Oh, we've written these entire these great
0: lists of films that we want to track down now, but we can't find half of them." Yeah, I can. Well, I mean, I know when I first watched it as well. I I did exactly that. I sat down and wrote out a whole bunch of different lists, and 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 thankfully through Umbrella, you know, the which has been. I love Umbrella a heck of a lot because it's, it's just a great source of, uh, of history Australian history and the, the special features that they've been putting on their discs recently have been phenomenal as well. The uh, you know, body melt and long weekend and um, man from Hong Kong are all just, you know, they're grave, you know, they're, they're grave sites essentially where you just dig through and get a whole bunch of Australian history. It's fantastic. So your association. Well, that's a good thing. I mean when when
1: when I was doing the D V D stuff for Umbrella, um, mm. it, it was great because it, it, it really helped Not Quite Hollywood. A, I was able to do all the research on these films. B I was able to find where all the materials were when we came to do Not Quite Hollywood, I could yeah, I knew where all the materials were where I had um you know, at least some kinds of relationships with the producers and some of the, the cast. And um, yeah, and, and it basically paid for me to do all the research for the film. So yeah, it was it was great.
0: Yeah, and I guess it's so in that regard, your relationship with them, how what what kind of work did you do for them as well? I mean I, I know but for the listeners at least, um, what 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 involved, what was involved in, in all of that kind of stuff? I like I just sat
1: down with Jeff and we we worked out you know, I gave him a list of the Australian films that I thought we should we should do. He had a list that he thought and we basically just went there, got all the materials, he did the deals, I went and did the transfers, did the telecines, I think most of the early ones we did, you know, pretty in-depth featurettes. I think on things like Picnic and Don's Party and, and those, some the featurettes run, you know, a couple of hours in length. They're longer than the films. So yeah, we we did a we did a lot of work bringing that stuff back. Yeah, it's it's really important as well because, and it was all, and it wasn't just genre films. there was all kinds of films. It was everything from The Getting of Wisdom to you know to Pacific Banana and everything mm. in between.
0: Yeah, and. You know, certainly there's obviously Umbrella uh, for people in Australia know that they, they don't just release Australian stuff, but, um, you know, the international stuff I can imagine helps fuel the the ability to restore and, and, and you know, bring these kind of forgotten classics to light uh, in, in many regards. Um, and kind of a shifting point for a second there, and we'll wrap up in a moment because I'm taking up a lot of your, your afternoon, um, but... In, in uh, the UK recently, I noticed that they had released, uh, the BFI has uh, set up essentially a huge database, uh, which encompasses the whole history of uh, British cinema, uh, who the actors are, what what films they have done, uh, who the directors are, the producers and all this kind of stuff. It's essentially a big uh, database full of who has worked on what films and stuff like that. Um do you see the possibility of something like that being established in Australia in the future um, as we become more aware of our own film history? Well, I think we did have one. I remember when I was doing Knocklight Hollywood, which is, you know, nine, ten years ago now,
1: um, Screen Australia, or the FFCs i are called them, were setting up a database. I think it does exist, where literally, yeah, every single film uh every director had a, had a listing to the films and the credits and trailers and stills etc so i think it does exist
0: hmm. oh i'll have to have a look and see and, and seek it out yeah yeah um so with there when you were doing the the research and interviewing for not quite hollywood was there specific like was there a person that you were you know really glad that you were able to actually talk about and kind of shine a light on uh and and bring their films to to light for for everybody
1: well, for me, it was it was Richard. I mean, the film's dedicated to Richard. He'd been such a supporter of, of the project, and um, and you know, the, the fact is that you know he died a couple of weeks after we shot his interview. So, you know, when we were when we were finishing the film, that was very much in mind. But this film is no longer just you know a, a collection of funny stories. It's kind of going to be the last word. From him on his career. Mm-hmm. And I guess that the documentaries, are, it's only sort of got more important, actually, as, as the years have gone by. I, I worked out the other day, I think, that at least a dozen people that are featured in the film are no longer with us. So, you know, now it is kind of the
0: final word from from a lot of those people on, on that story. And, um, you know, thank God we got to do it. Oh, definitely. And especially at the time that you did, you know, I think that, there is a legacy that this film has which is really important not for not just for film fans but for for filmmakers as well have you had any filmmakers come up to you after the release of it and say you know this watching this film has really encouraged me to do x y and z yeah i mean a lot of
1: young filmmakers have said that you know they they it's inspired them to in a a sort of gung-ho we can do this kind of thing let's just go out there and make a movie kind of way. People like, you know, Brian Trenchard-Smith have been very generous about, you know, saying how how wonderful it was, you know, in terms of just um, uh, finding film fans for, for their work. And um, you know, I've been lucky enough to, uh, in the subsequent documentaries and just going around to film festivals to meet a lot of other filmmakers who who all are fans of the film as well. It's great when people that you grew up loving, like Joe Dante and John Landis, you know, have seen your film and, and like it and um people like ben wheatley uh um who else is a fan of it you uh, it, it it surprises me it amazes me how many people have seen this little documentary around the world and um and have actually really
0: you know enjoyed it and learned something from it so you know it's it's great yeah it it really is and and, you know, again, hats off to you. I keep on praising you for it, but, uh, you know, I love it. I think it's a great film, and it's such an easy film to watch as well because the stories are such an enjoyable thing to watch. Um, so I'm hopeful that, you know, with this this kind of uh, second wind and or maybe even third or fourth wind for the film as it gets this really jam-packed uh, release from Umbrella, um you know, that it gets even more attention that it deserves, you know, because people obviously way back in 2008, which is, you know, it feels like just yesterday, but it was about 10 years ago. Uh, you know, the, there's a whole new wave of people who can rediscover these films and through your film at least. Um, so what was the process that went into to sort of bundling their special features? Did you have much of a, were you involved with that um, for this particular release? Yeah, look, I, you know, it's, it's been so long
1: trying to get a Blu-ray. Look, look, when we made the film, we, we went back and we transferred every single bit of material to look as good as it possibly could. So I thought, I want audiences to see just how great these films looked. And, uh, you know, so the film plays theatrically, everything looks great. But I always thought, you know, Blu-ray is where people can see how great these films actually did look. And I think that... um you know, I, I haven't seen Not Quite Holy for a little while. I saw it a couple of years ago at a Russian film festival, which was quite strange, but I thought it held up pretty well, and it hasn't dated that badly either. So um, so it's great that finally people can see it in HD. Um, I had a mass of extras that has been lying around. I just made sure that everything went on it, because, you know, this is probably you know, the last opportunity for any kind of, you know, home entertainment, digital media. Who knows what the next format is, there'll be another format. So throw everything at it. And um, you know, once it's it's great just to have that release as you know a document of everything that exists about that film, basically. Mm.
0: Oh, definitely. And you know, like the cost of it for what you get is insane. Like it's it's thirty five bucks, I think, um, and the amount of of information and history that's that's in it is is nuts like it's a bargain you you know elsewhere you'd be be i think there's i think we ended up putting
1: over 10 hours of extras on this that's not too bad
0: (laughs) you you say it like it's no big deal but you know 10 hours is is you know it's going to be fantastic i'm i'm really eager to be sitting down and and playing through all of that because it's there's so much information there It's great. Well, look, there's been so much much goodwill towards that film, but, you know, the last thing you want to do is disappoint people. So hopefully no one will be disappointed by the package. Oh, no, not at all. So what's coming up next for you then as a filmmaker? Because it's been a few years since your last documentary. Are you working on anything else? Um, Because I can imagine... Oh, yeah, look, we've we've been working on quite a few projects that, you know, are always, you know, two
1: steps forward, one step back. So hopefully something will happen early next
0: year. Great. Well, I'm certainly looking forward to whatever comes up next because the other two documentaries, which uh, are also out on Umbrella and I highly recommend people seek him out, are, are also fantastic. And, you know, for me, uh, you know, I have a keen interest in Australian cinema, but I, you know, the, the stuff in Machete Maidens is fantastic and, and certainly open my eyes up to a whole different world as well. And, uh, you know, it's just like rabbit holes when you, you watch these films because you, you write all these other films down and you go, I've got to seek that out. I've got to seek that out. Um so in that regard, the last question, the question that I tend to ask everybody that comes on, um, is there one Australian film that you recommend everybody seeks out? And, you know, it's obviously really difficult because your film is about more than just one Australian film. Um, but if there's one, uh, yeah, which one would it be?
1: Um, look, I honestly think that the cream of the crop in Knock, I mean, there's, a, there's there's some great films in there. The one that I, always, always, I was always a big fan of is Road Games. I think Road Games is a great film. I mean, I think Road Games is just as great today as it was, you know, when it was made in, you know, 1981. So that's that's the one to seek out in terms of the films in not quite Hollywood,
0: for sure. Mm. And that's also and, a g- um, great release coming up, I think. Or, it's already had a great release through Umbrella, too. Yeah. Yeah, the no, Umbrella released
1: a, a Blu-ray of it, which,
0: yeah, looks okay. <laughs> um, yeah.
1: yeah, they... they Yeah, yeah, there was a a bit of confusion in terms of the best materials. But no, I mean, look, it's great to be able to see it in HD. The other film that I really love, um, which isn't in Not Hollywood, is is Spotswood. I really, really love Spotswood. Oh, yeah. So that's the other sort of of undiscovered gem, I think, in Australian cinema. And The Money Movers is the other one. They're they're the three kind of films that I point people in the direction of.
0: Yeah. I remember watching Spotswood as a kid because... You know the cast on it. I didn't know who they were, and I thought there was a an American film. And I put it on, and was like, "Oh, wow! This is actually Australian," and loved it as a kid. And you know, it's a film I really need to re-watch because uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it back then, and I'm certain that I would. Uh, yeah, it's
1: just, it's just it. a really, really gentle, yeah. healing style film. It you know very much plays like the Chiffre Thunderbolt, or someone like you know a film like that. And certainly, Money Moves is great too. Money Moves is just um, you know it's. It's just a kick in the guts, and uh, you know, certainly without Money Movers, there would be no films like, like Animal Kingdom, etc.
0: Sure. I haven't seen that one, so I need to seek it out. Um, you've given me some homework to do, so thank you very much. <laughs> well, Pleasure. Thank you, Mark. I really appreciate your time. I, I, you know, it's been fantastic talking about your film, and certainly, uh, you know, this will be going up sometime next week. And and everybody needs to keep an eye on Umbrella Entertainment's website and uh, pick up "Not Quite Hollywood" when it hits Blu-ray because it's uh, it's going to be another essential release from them for sure. That was Mark Hartley, the director of "Not Quite Hollywood," and of course Patrick and Electric Boogaloo and. Machete Maidens Unleashed all are films that you need to seek out uh, and certainly if you if you're interested in not quite Hollywood and you thought that it was a really interesting film then seek out Electric Boogaloo and Machete Maidens Unleashed. Uh, unleashed. Electric Boogaloo tells the story of Canon Films so it's certainly a really fascinating sort of international look at that particular company and then Machete Maidens Unleashed Uh, tells basically the story of Filipino cinema. It's really fascinating and i tell you what, the first time that I watched it, it really opened my eyes to an aspect of the world that I didn't know existed. And it's a bit like uh, people who watch Not Quite Hollywood, they watch it and go, wow, I had no idea that these films were out there and they go and seek them out. And Umbrella Entertainment does a great job in making it possible for people to seek these films out. So that's umbrellaent.com.au for their website Go and pick up Not Quite Hollywood. It's a fantastic documentary. I highly recommend it. Head over to our website, AB Film Review, to listen to other episodes of this show, The Last New Wave, as well as shows of our main show, which is AB Film Review, where myself and my wife, Bernadette, discuss the latest films that are out there in the world at large. And also follow us on social media, AB Film Review, on both Facebook and on Twitter. You can also head over to patreon.com forward slash AB and throw us a dollar or two just helps us keep the website going. Uh, no pressure at all. Um, If you like what we do as well, you can also head over to followingfilms.com to listen to other shows a bit like us, uh, like Following Films, which uh, Chris Maynard is the host of, and he interviews pretty much everybody and anybody who is working in films in America, and also True Bromance Film Podcast, where if you like the casual banter of AB Film Review, then you might like uh, the casual banter on True Bromance. That's really about it from me. I really appreciate you having listened to this show. Uh, It's fantastic that I'd be able to sit down with people like Mark Hartley to discuss their film. So, you know, please keep on tuning in. It it really uh, helps uh, push both this show as well as Australian cinema. And in that regard, keep on watching Australian cinema. This has been The Last New Wave. I've been Andrew Pearce. I'll see you on the next episode.